That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Boy, what an amazing day. Uh, There is so much going on and uh, so much that we're going to be getting to today. We're going to get into this whole issue of Fox News, billionaires. Um, How does democracy work? when a billionaire owns a major media outlet that as much as a quarter of the country exclusively watches and then basically skews the news aggressively. We'll get to that. We've got a real problem with the media in this country. And the core of the problem is that the media is incapable, it seems, of reporting on actual news. Instead, they just go for scandal, celebrity, and horse race. That's the bottom line, scandal, celebrity, and horse race. And my question is, what do we do about this? How can we address this? It seems to me like, you know, some of the solutions include breaking up some of the media monopolies and whatnot. But to start out, for example, uh, on Sunday night, 60 Minutes played an interview between Anderson Cooper and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And in this interview, she very reasonably and rationally laid out the fact about a tops tax rate of 70%, which is, by the way, below where it was when Ronald Reagan came into office. It was 74% when he came into office. So anyhow, here here she is. There's an element where, yeah, people are going to have to start paying their fair share in taxes. Do you have a specific on the tax rate? You know, you look at our tax rates back in the 60s, and when you have a progressive tax rate system, your tax rate, you know, let's say from zero to $75,000 may be 10% or 15%, etc. But once you get to like the tippy tops, uh, on your 10 millionth dollar, uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70%. That doesn't mean all $10 million are taxed at an extremely high rate, but it means that as you climb up this ladder, you should be contributing more. Yeah, she's absolutely right. And the the response of the American media, and I saw this on two networks this morning, has been, oh my God, you know, really? Without any context, without any information, without discussing what does this mean? The reality is that right now, CEOs in America make between 500 and 1,000 times what their employees make. 
and that when Reagan came into office in 1980, the average CEO in America made only 30 times what their employee makes. Now, why was that? It's because the top tax rate of 70%, actually in 1980, 74%, kicked in at $216,000. In today's dollars, that's $658,000, according to reporting by Eric Levitz over at New York Magazine. So $658,000, everything above that is taxed at 70%. This morning, Joe Scarborough was, oh, I don't know, you know, we're 70% federal, and then you got the New York State, and then you got the New York City, and by the time you're all done, it's like 80, 90% on $10 million a year, really. And, well, maybe Joe makes $10 million a year. In fact, he probably does, but yeah. And his question was, well, you know, why would anybody even... And that's the question. I mean, that, that, you know, why would anybody even try to take $10 million? I mean, I'm amazed that she went to $10 million when the, you know, if we were to go back to 1980, it would be $650,000. How about going to $1 70% top tax rate, over $1 million. Because that's the point at which employers, CEOs, big shots in, I mean, pick your industry. That's the point at which they say, you know... I really don't need to take any more money. I mean, it's crazy to take money out of the company at 70% and, you know, 80 plus percent when you figure in state and local taxes. Why do that? I'll leave the money in the company, pay the employees more, develop new products, buy new uh, manufacturing equipment, uh, roll out a new advertising campaign, expand the company. This is what companies used to do. This is what employers used to do. Because, you know, there was just a point where it was just stupid to take any more money because it would all be taxed. It was functionally a maximum wage. But was there any discussion of that on 60 Minutes last night? No. Was there any discussion of that on CNN or MSNBC this morning? No. I guarantee you there was no discussion of that on Fox. And while I didn't watch the morning shows on ABC, CBS, and NBC, I'd be willing to bet almost anything that there was no discussion about this very simple context. In fact, this very simple concept that if you're going to have a minimum wage, a floor through which workers can't fall, you should have, functionally, a maximum wage, a ceiling above which greed can't prevail. And in fact, we had that from 1933 right up until 1985 or 86 or thereabouts. Actually, I think Reagan's first big tax cut was in 82. But that only took it down to 50%. I think it was a 50% right up until his second term. The economy was doing just great, by the way. I mean, the economy was doing really, really good. So when you hear reporting like this, or a lack of reporting like this, what do you do? I mean, literally, what do you do? I yell at the TV, I go on Twitter, and I rant about it. I started to write an op-ed on it yesterday. It's not finished. I'm going to roll it out a little later on the, in this week. But this absolute, utter lack of interest in actual details. Now, there's a couple of different reasons why I think the media might be doing this. Number one, reality TV. In 1988, you had the writer's strike, and then you had another one in 2001, and both of those writer's strikes, what the networks did is they rolled out reality TV. The one back in 80 was Cops and uh, America's Most Wanted. They rolled those programs out. 
And in 2001, it was lost. And there were other programs as well. And what they discovered from doing this is that reality TV is insanely profitable and it catches an audience. So it's, and it's profitable because you don't need writers, you don't need stars, you don't need to pay people well. Well, this is essentially what you see on network television. Now, again, the, the, some of the very best shows that you'll see on CNN, MSNBC, don't so much do this. But most of the weaker shows, what they do is essentially reality TV. They'll queue up a topic, yeah, let's talk about the border wall, and then they'll have a panel on. It's called the panelization of news. And it'll be two or three people, typically media people, because they want to cross-pollinate with each other, right? So network A gets on somebody from the newspaper B, right? So that they're building a relationship. And then they'll sit there and they'll talk to each other for the next 10 minutes. It's reality TV. Now, it used to be, and I, in fact, I spent part of Sunday on YouTube just looking at old, I would just plug in, you know, CBS Evening News, 1972, 1973, 1974, and actually watching old Walter Cronkite newscasts. There were no panels. There were no discussions with pundits. There was news. I mean, good, solid, real, in-depth reporting. So, number one, I think that the networks are doing this because it's cheaper. Number two, they're not doing news anymore because they don't have to. Up until 1987, we had this thing called the Fairness Doctrine, and the Fairness Doctrine required that networks and radio and television stations, quote, program in the public interest, end quote, which meant actually carry news. Now, it also required them to put a balancing voice on when the station ran an editorial in their own voice. So like Sinclair TV right now, all over the country, you got about 200 TV stations, as I recall, that Sinclair owns, and they send these must-run pieces to all their stations, which are editorials, two, three, four-minute editorials that they run you know, a couple nights a week, maybe every night. I don't know. I've never watched Sinclair TV, but we have one here in town, but you know, I tend not to watch TV. But they run these things. Now, if the Fairness Doctor is still in effect, then after Boris Epstein does his rant about how wonderful Donald Trump is, the network or the stations would be obliged to have somebody come on and say, no, he's not. You have to present both points of view. If, if you're speaking with the voice of the ownership of the station, that was it. It didn't require that if you have an hour of Tom Hartman, you have to have an hour of Rush Limbaugh or vice versa. That was not the fairness doctrine. That's, what, that's the fairness doctrine that Limbaugh promoted, but that's, it's not real. So the Fairness Doctrine gets blown up by Reagan in 87 and then taken down altogether by Barack Obama two, three years ago. No, three, four years ago. So it just literally no longer even exists. It was in the FCC code right up until a couple of years ago. Fairness Doctrine's gone. They, can, they don't have to program news anymore. Uh, they, oh, and, the, and another reason that they do this stuff, why do, why do they let people get away with this, right? I, you know, on the Sunday shows, I was watching uh, a couple of the Sunday shows, and, and it just, you know, again, screaming at the TV, you know, why are you letting that guy get away with saying that? And the reason why is because they're doing reality programming. They don't want to pay to have news bureaus. So instead of having news bureaus, instead of having actual reporters and a deep field of them, which is expensive. Instead, they'll get a, you know, either pundits on or politicians. Politicians are even cheaper than pundits. If you become a contributor, in quotes, to one of the TV networks, then every time you come on, they have to pay you somewhere between typically $500 to $2,500 in appearance. Now, that's nickel-dime stuff for the TV networks. 
I mean, that's very, very cheap programming. But when you get a politician on, you don't have to pay them anything. That's incredibly cheap programming. So it's more profitable. So what do we do about this? How do you know? I've tried shaming them, right? You try, you try, uh, you know. I'm, I'm just like banging my head against the wall here. If you have any suggestions or thoughts on why this is happening and what we can do about it, I'd love to hear from George in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? So you spoke earlier of the complicity of the corporate media, and this is kind of just a, maybe a reminder. Uh, of the uphill battle that we have here. It's not just CNN, Fox, and MSNBC that's complicit. It's also the corporate-owned Spanish media, such as like Univision, Telemundo, things like that. <clears throat> I want to tell you a quick little story. Uh, back in 2015, my mom, during the Democratic primary, my mom always asks me who I'm voting for, but you know, this time she comes up and says, hey, you know, make sure you vote for Hillary. And I said, well, I'm not voting for Hillary. I'm going to be voting for Bernie Sanders. And she says, the crazy old guy? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, the, the, the crazy old guy. And I'm like, kind of get into it a little bit more and come to find out that that Hillary's being portrayed one way and Bernie Sanders is being portrayed a, a totally different way. Is she a consumer of Spanish language media? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. So she watches Telemundo and Univision, you know, to get her news. Right. I, I was in shock. You know, I couldn't understand. I was blown away by it because yeah. I had explained to her that, no, he's, he's not a crazy I started explaining his ideas, and she thought that, you know, wow, maybe, you know, I, I think she's still voting for Hillary because that's who sure. she was told to vote for. I think it's a really big problem, you know, and, and I'm concerned, actually, that same thing might happen again this time. So I, I've started already making, you know, letting my mom know about some of the other candidates. Good. Good. Yeah, media has tremendous power. And this is something that, uh, you know, unfortunately, the Democrats have been slow to figure out. You've got uh, Rupert Murdoch, you know, funding. He owns more than half of the print media in Australia. He owns a good chunk of the media in in the UK. And of course, you know, the Fox, the, the Fox Empire and Wall Street Journal and New York Post here in the United States. And he wields those to the political advantage of his friends and to the detriment of his enemies. This has been going on for a for a long time. But as corporate concentration increases, the number of voices and the number of messages and the and the complexity of the messages decreases. And this is, you know, classic destruction of an ecosystem, in this case, a media ecosystem. And it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for democracy, generally, broadly. And it's certainly not a good thing for the country. Um, you so, know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I would, um, you know, just say that my mom is was open to... Um, what I was telling her, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of say Bernie's platform. And I think that there's a lot of Latinos out there that are open. They're just not as, as yeah. informed, obviously. Well, you know, the I first... Encourage, the f- and, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just encourage, you know, everyone to, you know, just talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, you know, talk to, you know, especially if they're, you know, uh, Spanish-speaking people that might not... I guess a, a lot of people in our culture are just basically tuned into one one show, like yeah, or, or, and and the extent to which the media has been monopolized in the in the Spanish language field is even greater than it is in the English language field. But you know the the other thing to keep in mind, though, George, is that during the uh, the first almost year of the primary, after Bernie had announced his candidacy, while he was pulling ten and twenty thousand people at a pop into stadiums, there was complete it was a complete blackout on coverage of him. ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, uh, MSNBC, CNN. All of them 
were completely ignoring him. So, uh, you know, if, if she was a consumer of regular media up to a certain point, up to where he kind of broke through a little bit, I think that was after the first debate. Up until that point, she might have said the same thing if she was just consuming any of those five networks or six or seven networks, I guess, six networks. So, you know, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. George, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hey, you know, you're going to start hearing nonstop weight loss commercials everywhere. And every time you do, I want you to think about Riduzone. It's the only weight loss product I endorse and the one that worked for my wife. Louise wanted to lose a little weight last summer. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule and your metabolism, too, so you stop craving the wrong foods like too many holiday sweets and you burn calories faster. With her appetite and cravings under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, get the only weight loss product I endorse, non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off a pack of three bottles plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com, that's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. Art Cullen is with us. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and editor. Uh, He's got a, a new book out. In fact, I have it right here in my hand. Storm Lake, a chronicle of change, resilience, and hope from Heartland newspaper. He's the editor of Storm Lake Times, reporter, a journalist in Iowa, Art, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, how is Elizabeth Warren being received in Iowa? I was actually sort of stunned at the reception. She was embraced by huge crowds, lines outside of every venue in five cities that she visited. And they were actually broadcasting outside to people in, uh, you know, January. <laughs> on a really? January night. You know, I didn't see uh, any yeah. of this in the media. It was absolutely that way everywhere she went? Yes. Council Bluffs, Sioux City, Storm Lake, my hometown, a town of about ten to 15,000 people. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't know how many are actually here because so many are immigrant. But, yeah, I would say the crowd was well over half female and hair as gray as mine. Mm-hmm. And she received a very warm embrace when she talked about taking on corporate power. Hmm. So, oh, that's interesting. Were you seeing young people showing up? No, but you got to remember, Iowa is the oldest state in the country, Ah. the most elderly state in the country, and uh, those people really do pay very close attention (laughs) to uh, the Iowa caucuses, and they do show up. But this is the biggest political gathering we've seen since Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. made an 11th-hour rally in 2007, eventually losing to Barack Obama. It was big, and the Iowa caucuses are considered a key test of organizational strength. Mm -hmm. And if that's the test, she passed it with flying colors by getting these people in and getting them all registered on cell phones. That's right. Sign-up sheets are gone. I've been ranting for the last half hour about why does our media not actually talk about real issues? Why do they insist on instead only talking about either scandal 
horse race. And even when they do the news, they do it like reality programming, you know, where you get right. a topic and a panel of three people and you discuss it among yourselves for, for a half hour, um, which is not the way that news was before the 96 media consolidation and Reagan killing the Fairness Doctrine in 87. And it just astonishes me that the only, literally the only thing that I saw, now, you know, I, I'm not that huge a consumer of, of television news, and perhaps you saw something different, but the, basically the only coverage that I saw of Elizabeth Warren in Iowa was that somebody got up and asked her about, you know, the whole DNA thing. I mean, you know, which is like the, the least relevant of anything. And by the way, both the New York Times and the, and the Washington Post in those scathing articles about, you know, back when this first came out about how, you know, Native Americans are really angry, literally hadn't interviewed a single elected Native American official. There's over 500 tribes in the United States. Not one. And uh, I don't know if you caught this, but a couple of days ago, Huffington Post went back and started yeah, interviewing. It's a good idea. Yeah, the, well, Huffington Post went back and actually interviewed people on the reservation. And they love her. Yeah. It's like, you know, they're saying, hey, yeah. you know, she's proud of the fact that she's got a, a, a Native American in her, in her ancestry. We like that. Yeah. She answered a question in Sioux City in the morning. And so, you know, that's the first story out of the day. And so it dominated the news cycle on that Saturday. And then the, the next day, the coverage was more about, about the crowds and how she connected with the crowds as they recovered and were able to write. But, there was, but that's story. horse race stuff. There was still no coverage of what is she saying? She, is, does she want to? Does she want to go back to Glass Steagall? Does she want to break up the big banks? Does she think that the banking industry is anti-competitive? Does she think that American business, by and large, is anti-competitive? Does she want to raise taxes? Does she want to have free college education? Does she is she in favor of Medicare for all? Literally, does she want to strengthen Social Security? Literally, none of those issues are raised. I'm starting to think that the reason the media absolutely refuses to raise any of these issues, which they used to do prior to the 1980s, and they really haven't since the Reagan era. I, I worked in radio news back in the late 60s and early 70s. And we did really good in-depth reporting. That just all went to hell and somewhere in the 80s. It looks like to me, I'd love to get your opinion as a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. And it seems to me like, you know, back pre-1980, Republicans had a really hard time you know, having national power in large part because they were right up front and the media was right up front about the fact that the Republican Party was basically about, you know, cutting taxes on rich people, deregulating companies and serving the interests of giant corporations. And people thought, well, that's not me. And the Democrats were like, we're the party of the unions and we're the party of Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and all those things that the Republicans oppose. And it seems like now if on a national program, if you invite a Republican on and you don't and you and you and you challenge the commentary, and I realize I'm getting probably way more partisan than you're comfortable with, but it, it just seems to me like those challenges never happen anymore. I was looking at a at a, an interview be between Charles, uh, oh, what's his last name, one of the one of the CBS reporters, and Richard Nixon back in '72 oh, or '73, and he just and it was oh, one of the good, one, maybe yeah yeah it could have been yeah and uh, he just. He just took Nixon apart, you know, on national television. Or it didn't right. take him apart. I mean, you know, he asked him hard questions, and he wouldn't put up with BS answers. What has happened to our media? Well, I don't know. I think maybe you could say that Lester Holt did the same thing when he got Trump on the record, uh, yeah. you know, about firing Comey. Yeah, that yeah. was a moment of actual journalism. But 
but but the, but <laughs> well, the give them a little credit. Yeah, yeah, but the but the <laughs> issues, the issues. I'm I'm yeah. hearing no conversation about Social Security. We know that the you know the Republican Party. There's says absolutely any. no conversation on the campaign trail among anybody, Democrat or Republican, state or federal level, about climate change. And, uh, That's shocking. I mean, it gets a passing mention, but then uh, what are we actually doing about it? Yeah. Uh, no, those those issues don't get really covered, and it's part of this, as you say, the cable news cycle, and now, you know, the Twitterverse, and uh, how can you get a, you know, how can you explain the co- consolidation of the pork industry to somebody in 28 words on Twitter? Right. But Warren was talking in general terms about that, about how the big chemical companies have taken over all the seed companies, for example, uh, and controlled the entire ag supply chain from top to bottom. She was discussing that here in Iowa this weekend. Wow. That's a a big deal, you know? Yeah, and we're reporting on it, and uh, the Des Moines Register was reporting on it, and the Washington Post got around to it today. But yeah, I mean, it, it is difficult to, to get a discussion of these issues in when, you know, every press, you know, there, there were 125 reporters covering this event. Everybody wants to get a question in, and you've got two minutes to do it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the whole format is, is also kind of hostile to any serious conversation about issues. Yeah, when, I, when the Iowa caucuses started, uh, you know, there would, uh, I remember Senator Paul Simon wandering into the office and, and just alone, unannounced, and sat there for two hours with me talking about the farm bill. Wow. Yeah, yeah those, those days are gone. All right, I got to run here, but thank you so much for dropping by. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. My pleasure. Art Cullen and his new book, Storm Lake. Check it out. Thank you, Art. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. And Art, of course, is also the editor of the Storm Lake Times. You can check that out. Don in Culver City, California. Hey, Don, thanks for listening to us on KPFK. What's up? Hey, Tom. How you doing? Great. The reason that they had high top marginal tax rates back in the 50s and 60s was that it actually helped grow the economy. And the 40s, by the way. Yeah. And the 70s. (laughs) And by the way, the decade of the 50s, the decade of the 60s, and the decade of the 70s were the only three decades in the entire 20th century where over an entire decade, GDP growth was over 3% for the entire 10-year period. And as yeah. soon as Reagan chopped that top tax rate down, you had you had some years where GDP was above three percent, but not entire decades anymore. Hasn't happened since. Well, no, it's interesting. Reagan made I think three million dollars a year, and he resented a lot of those taxes on actors. But the original system was that most people making that kind of money were business owners. That you're taxing them that much, they will plow the money back into their business and be forced to expand and hire more salespeople and et cetera. Yeah, and actually grow the economy. And but he, being an actor, had his own little myopic view of the world, and that's why he attacked it. It was all part of a suite of uh, demand side economics, and that's what we have to come back to. Yeah, I absolutely is, agree. Um, yeah, instead and, of supply side insanity. Well, and the other thing is, it's a stabilizer, Don. Not only because that tax money grows the economy in part because it gets plowed back into the economy. We were building infrastructure like there was no tomorrow back then. You know, the Eisenhower Interstate Highway System, brand new hospitals, brand new brand new schools all over the country. Anybody who went to school in the 60s and 70s knows that all those schools are brand new. Brand new roads, brand new airports, train stations. I mean, you know, we were building the infrastructure, telephone systems, more efficient power systems. We were building the infrastructure that business used to become 
profitable and successful during that period of time in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And Reagan just brought it all to a screeching halt by doing away with the money that was being used to build this infrastructure by cutting the tax rates so radically. And because most state tax rates are a percentage of federal, in other words, you take what is your federal tax? Okay, this year I owe $6,000. Okay, your state tax is 7% of that or 3% of that or whatever it may be. And so state tax being a percentage of the federal tax, as federal taxes went down, state taxes went down in the 80s and 90s. And with the Bush tax cut and with the Trump tax cut. And as those state and local taxes go down, the ability to even fund the local fire department falls apart. So what you find is if you look at major economies around the world, whenever the top tax rate is above 50%, the economy tends to stabilize and it doesn't have wild swings of recession and boom and bust. Whereas when the top tax rate is below 50%, boom, you get into this kind of territory too, Don. Yeah, it builds a hybrid economy. Now, you had asked about why is this happening. I think part of it is not culture or greed so much as subjugation. By promoting these policies, we get impoverished, and therefore we can't participate in participatory democracy. Mm. And we get shut out more and more. I mean, I'm to the point where I'm thinking that uh, since there's a lot of social darkness at the top of the food chain, they want to eliminate a lot of the overpopulation of the world. So... They're just going to marginalize us to the point where we're just useless eaters and that kind well, of Well, it's, it's happening right now, Don. I mean, you know, the, the lifespan in the United States is falling and the suicide rate is increasing. So apparently they're being successful. Don, thanks for the call. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared. I've been a consumer of the mainstream media since I was 16 years old. And from what I can see of the mainstream media is a lot of it has to do with both sidesism. The Republicans do something, we have to get like a Democrat who does something as well. And they don't talk about the real issues. Why is it we don't have a climate change scientist on to talk about climate change for like 30 minutes or something like that every day? Well, and look at how popular BBC is now in America. I, you know, I think it speaks yeah. to that, that longing for news. And frankly, I think that that's one of the reasons why Fox catches an audience. Back when we used to be able to watch Fox, it's no longer part of the channel package that I'm, I'm willing to pay for. But back when we used to be able to watch Fox, on the weekends in particular and on, you know, in the middle of the night, I would be, if I was up, I would be flipping through CNN and MSNBC and watching all these documentaries. And I would end up on Fox. I'd end up watching Fox because it was the only network that was actually doing news. Yeah, and I used to do the same as well. I, I think we should start taking these large media conglomerates and we should just basically nationalize them. Because, I mean, if we had something like a BBC here in America, uh, that would really get rid of a lot of the crap we have here. Like, we Well, we do. It's called, it's called the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You know, and instead yeah. of nationalizing the big the big networks and the and the you know the giant providers, why not just break them up and let you know local let let competition let a thousand flowers flourish? But we already did that before. I mean, we, it worked. We've, we've it works, but for a while. I mean, didn't we break up? Um, what was it, Standard Oil or something? We broke up the Standard Rock Oil Miller. in 1910. We broke up AT and T in 19 what? It started under Nixon in the 70s and ended under Jimmy Carter in 79, I think. And there, there were a bunch of trusts and things that were broken up also uh, during the Teddy Roosevelt administration. And, and, and frankly, uh, you know, a little bit before that. But 
But yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like a reasonable thing to, to break, you know, to, to leave them in the private sector is what I'm saying. I, you know, can you imagine if Donald Trump actually controlled a media outlet? When you say nationalize, I mean, if, if Donald Trump said, OK, we're going to nationalize NBC and I'm in charge, I don't see where that'd be a good thing, Jared. I, I don't. But I, in my world, I, a, a Trump wouldn't even get elected if we had nationalized the media to begin with. And there wasn't a profit motive for uh, Trump to be, you know, have five billion dollars of media. coverage. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just very skeptical of, of state run media. I'm, you know, I mean, look at all the barriers, the, the, the protections that they had to put in with the Corporation of Public Broadcasting where, you know, they had a, a board of governors and they have to be appointed at, at different periods of time. So there can't be political influence and all this kind of stuff. And even that doesn't work. You know, NPR and CPB have gone the corporate route. Jared, thank you for the call. Here's a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep. Make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. I used to constantly feel uncomfortable throughout the workday until I realized I was spending thousands of hours sitting in the wrong chair. So follow my example and ditch that no-name superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. I've been raving about how much I love my X chair for, geez, years. Well, if you're on the fence about buying one, here's great news. Now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. When you sit in it, you'll understand why I love my X chair so much. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to X chair Tom. That's T-H-O xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com, T-H-O-M. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR comes with a 30-day, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. xchairtom.com. Tom Harmon here with you. We're talking about the media. What do we do? How did it get this way? What, how can we get out of this mess? Chris in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Chris, thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. What's up? Um, Tom, when we predicate um, tax policy on the assumption that it's an effective mechanism to control behavior, whether that's um, you know not hoarding all your income and not creating strong wages, can we do the same thing with these large conglomerates by perhaps offering or incentivizing a certain tax structure that set up a commission that would determine how let's just take CNN for example, kind of bureaus they have set up, like you would basically regulate them and if they played ball you could offer, you know, tax advantages, maybe slash their income taxes in half. I know there's all sorts of clever ways to get out of paying taxes anyway, but could we incentivize them uh, in that sense? That is a brilliant idea, Chris. The thing that comes to mind immediately, you know, I started in radio at WITL uh, in Lansing, Michigan back in the day. I'm 67, actually. I was 16 when I started. I it was just weekend DJ that year. But, you know, I was doing news by 1969. And that was owned by three local guys who got together and started the station. Chuck Mefford was the broadcaster. And then there was a sales guy and there was an engineering guy. I don't remember their names. I knew Chuck really well. And he just passed away a, a, a while ago. And it's now owned by a giant chain that's got 235 radio stations and is based out of Connecticut, right? That same station. So if you were to say that any company that operates exclusively within a single state has a federal tax rate that is half that of any company that engages, you know, that operates in multiple states, how's that as a starting point, Chris? I mean, you could do that, and that, that would have yeah. ramifications way beyond the media. Well, and if, if our angle here, if the media is just solely concerned about, you know, making money, we do other things 
um, and the tax code to subsidize and incentivize things that work for the public good, whether that's public utilities. Oftentimes, you know, we, we do offer companies like public utilities that are private corporations. We do offer them incentives like on solar panels and things to change their behavior. Sure. At the end of the day, they're still, you know, returning a profit for their shareholders. But perhaps that's kind of a way to, to kill them with kindness, I guess. Yeah. No, I think so. I think so. Chris, I hadn't even considered that. That's brilliant. Thank Thanks, you so Tom. much for the call. I'm telling you, we got the smartest listeners on earth. Dave in Armstrong Creek, Wisconsin. Hey, Dave, what's up? Good morning, Tom. I just wanted to talk about uh, how the media uses the word socialism in such a derogatory way. It's associated with communist Russia or communist China. Sure. And in reality, we have a mixed economy in this country. We have a market economy. We have a lot of social programs, you know, like our public schools, our roads, all that sort of stuff is, you know, if you think about it, it's, 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 it's socialism. Yeah, and it's one-fifth of our economy. Yeah, and, you know, I think the, the biggest example of socialism that I can think of was when the taxpayers bailed out the big banks. I mean, that was socialist all the way, in yeah. my viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I... I well, and I they continue to do this. I mean, Walmart comes into a new community and they say, what are you going to give us? Oh, we'll give you tax abatements, we'll give you this, and we'll give you the other thing. You know, we'll give you yeah. free land. I mean, there's not a community in America that isn't subsidizing some giant corporation. Right, it's, and it's not limited uh, to Fox News either. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously. You hear that sort of same sort of stuff on MSNBC, especially the morning shows. And, yeah. yeah, you know. So I, I just, but I think people they've got this drilled into their heads that socialism is terrible. When some of the policies of socialism, they would never want to get rid of. You know. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for taking my call. Tom. You're welcome, Dave. Thank you very much for the call. Axel in New Orleans. Hey, Axel, what's up? Well, since since day-run media is so uh, ridiculed, and uh, you just pointed out earlier that you weren't a fan of it, so free media, that's, which is right now, is also extremely ridiculed. What's a perfect alternative? I think that media? the people who put together the FCC back in the 1920s and built into it these two guardrails, one was the fairness doctrine that said that stations, in order to get a license renewed every year, and they had to prove it literally every year, had to, quote, program in the public interest, end quote. And that was broadly interpreted to be they had to have actual news. This is why all three of the big networks lost money on their news operations right up until 1988. That was a requirement, the fairness doctrine, number one. And number two, that individual companies or individuals could not own multiple television stations. There, there was an absolute cap on the number of TV or radio stations that they could own anywhere in the country, or newspapers that they could own anywhere in the country. Right. And there were within market caps. They couldn't own, you know, radio, TV, and newspaper all in the same market, for example. That all got mm -hmm. blown up in 1996 when Bill Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act. And I think that one, that one signature, that one law, has probably done more damage to the, poli and, and the politics of America and more directly led to the rise of Donald Trump than anything I can think of. Okay. So that's what I'd do is I, I would yeah. I would go back to those policies that actually worked. Axel, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Carrie in New Windsor, New York. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for covering media consolidation. I know Republicans listen, so if you want to look up this fact that the media is not liberal media, fairness right. and accuracy in reporting and media matters are two places yep. people can Fair. go. Fair.org and mediamatters.org. Yep. 
Yeah, who all owns what. And then empowering people to be the media is a wonderful way to battle this media consolidation. There's a thing called Independent Media Center, which is great. And then people who are in positions of, you know, having outlets to empower people to be the voice. You know, like the DJ voting machines, like maybe like focusing like less on politicians. Yep. No, I've got it. Carrie, I got to wrap this up. But thank you for the call. Tom Hartman here with you. So another possible reason why the media does this is uh, to basically keep us locked out, to have some semblance of control over the message. And why would they want to do that? Well, because the big media corporations are just that, corporations. And corporate America is all about, hey, inflate the profits, cut the taxes. So when somebody comes along like Ocasio-Cortez and says, hey, We used to have a 70% tax rate in this country, and things worked just fine. In fact, they worked better than they do now. Then the media has to, you know, put a cork in that one. Whoa, stop that. We can't have that kind of conversation. And cue the outrage from not only all the Republicans, but from the so-called moderate Democrats. Moderate Democrats are like, can you believe uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said that? I mean, there's actually one quoted in the New York Times today. You know, seriously? I mean, this is going to damage the prospects of every Democrat in 2020. Really? How about just reporting on the truth? Now, another thing, another area where the big networks censor themselves is things that have to do with their own financial interest. CNN is about to be owned by uh, AT&T, as I recall. MSNBC is owned by Comcast. ABC, NBC, CBS... They're all, you know, giant media companies and in many cases have interlocking relationships with Internet service providers, which may have something to do with why we didn't hear any conversation at all over the last year about the Republican destruction of net neutrality. Among other things, you've got, you know, major advertisers on TV, drug companies and insurance companies. And what don't we hear a conversation about? How the drug companies are ripping us off and how the insurance companies are ripping us off. The, the other major source of money for the big TV networks and the radio and TV stations around the country is advertising during elections. Just the, just the Koch brothers put three, four hundred million dollars into the last election. I mean, the 2016 election was a two billion dollar election. Where did most of that money go? Right into the network's pockets. Have you noticed anybody on any of the network television shows having an in-depth conversation about where did that money come from that the Koch brothers were spending? Where did that money go? What was the measurable effect of that money? How does that translate into policy? I mean, we know that, you know, Shelley Adelson and Robert Mercer threw all this money in, in, you know, behind Donald Trump. We know about the impact it's having. Yeah, I, or that Trump is having. I mean, that's fairly obvious. But I don't think actually even the average American knows this. So they censor themselves in this regard. And, you know, they don't want to offend the advertisers. They don't want to offend their own, their own board of directors. And the final piece of this is this massive media consolidation that happened after 1996, after the Telecommunications Act of 96, which prior to that, no media company in the United States owned more than, I think it was 35 radio or TV stations. I mean, it was a fairly limited number that you could own. And certainly you couldn't own both a radio station and a TV station and a newspaper in the same market. You know, most ownership was local. Well, after 96, after the Telecommunications Act of 96, that just, you know, that just kicked that door open. 
I mean, one of the big radio groups went up to over a thousand stations. Another one went to over 700 stations. On TV, you've got, you know, half a dozen TV broadcasters who own over a hundred stations. It's just gotten huge. And with that has gone the, the sense of responsibility to the communities in which they're broadcasting. You know, we need to do some work here. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. So reinstate the ownership caps prior to 96, go back to the Fairness Doctrine prior to 87. What else? If your New Year's resolutions include taking better care of yourself and being smarter with your finances, Harry's has you covered. Plus, you'll get a great shave in the bargain. Esquire magazine was so impressed, they awarded Harry's their 2018 Grooming Award. Harry's smooth, comfortable glide and close shave will have you hooked in no time. I won't shave with anything but Harry's. Harry's wants to help you start the new year off right. New customers get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and travel cover for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just use Tom, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each, and if you don't love your shave, you'll get a full refund from Harry's. For a limited time only, Harry's has a special offer for listeners to this program. New customers get $5 off a trial set from Harry's with the code Tom, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. That means you get a razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping when you use the code TOM at Harry's. Join the millions who've already switched and get on over to harrys.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout to claim your offer. Huey Newton said, to us, power is, first of all, the ability to define phenomena, and secondly, the ability to make these phenomena act in a desired manner. How is the media not doing that? Defining what is and then telling us what we should think about it. For example, Fox News, we've been talking about the media on the program here, and, and how did we get here, and what can we do to get out of here? But there's one particular corner of the media that is particularly problematic, shall we say. And that's where you've got a single billionaire, Rupert Murdoch, who uh, Kevin Rudd, the former Prime Minister of Australia, referred to as a cancer on Australia's democracy, who owns more than half the papers in Australia, then left Australia. He was an Australian. He left Australia and went to the UK and bought a bunch of newspapers there and TV networks and whatnot, and then left the UK and came to the United States and built Fox News with Roger Ailes' help and Murdoch's money. And this uh, History News Network comment, I mean, this is like when the History News Network is doing a story like this, you know that there's something going on here. The title of the article is Fox News viewers literally have no idea how bad things are under Trump. And, you know, it starts out by saying, you know, basically average Americans have contempt for Trump supporters. Many Americans and the media seems to, too. Oh, they're rubes, they're dumb, they're rednecks, they're, I mean, you know, fill in the blank, right? And this historian over on History News Network is saying, you know, you are, you're pointing in the wrong direction. These people are not the facilitators, the empowerers of Trump's lies and egotism, or for that matter, the Republican Party's lies and egotism, although they don't specifically call out the Republican Party in this piece. That would be Fox News that has built an infrastructure on which Donald Trump became president and has been able to maintain his presidency. And in fact, it says, you know, the Trump supporters did not create the pro-Trump narrative. They are the recipients of it. They are the victims of it. 
So we need to have some compassion, I guess. But then they say, okay, let's just pick a day and do a deep dive into the media. What's going on in all the media in America and then what happened on Fox News that day? And so they randomly picked December 20th. Actually, I'm not sure it was randomly picked, but they picked December 20th. And that happened to be the day that, or it was the day after Trump tweeted that we were going to pull out of Syria. That was the day that Mattis turned in his resignation letter and blasted Trump. That was the day that Donald Trump told Congress that, you know, if they just passed that bill that was in the Senate that kept the government open until February, as I recall, maybe even until March, that if they just passed that bill, everything would be good. This was the day before, apparently, Laura Ingram and Rush Limbaugh got on him, and he suddenly decided to take the entire country hostage for his wall. But December 20th was also the first day that the stock market tanked in a big way, and it did it on this news that Donald Trump was going to reverse his position on keeping the government open. So this was, you know, a relatively big news day. It was the first day that we learned that Trump may actually shut the government down. It was the first day that we learned about the details of Mattis' resignation, all that kind of stuff. So those were big stories, and it was the worst week, literally, that Friday, the next day, the Wall Street closed with its worst week since the financial crisis in 2008. Now, you would think that these are huge stories, and of course, all the other media thought they were huge stories. Back to History News Network. Fox News television viewers got almost no sense of this mounting crisis. Shows hosted by Martha McCollum, Tucker Carlson, Dan Bongino, sitting in for Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, directed viewers' attention to other matters. Well, what are those other critical matters? Commentators asserted falsely the Democrats advocated open borders. Fox's primetime programming highlighted stories about an immigrant invasion. They accentuated a report about a violent, undocumented immigrant in California. In each program, hosts and commentators left viewers with the impression that the big news of the day was security threats from aliens. Martha McCollum had this long interview with Susan Collins about aliens and extremists who don't like Brent Kavanaugh. Tucker Carlson drew attention to the work of Robert Shibley, who maintained that America's universities have been pushing against free speech. And he also took shots at the climate tax and made fun of claims about Russian interference in the election. Dan Bongino blasted Attorney General Rod Rosenstein's defense of the so-called Russia investigation. And Laura Ingram devoted considerable time to immigration. And they go on to say, I mean, this is the History News Network. General Mattis's resignation letter hardly got a nod. The outcry by national and international leaders regarding Trump's plan to withdraw from Syria and Afghanistan received little to no attention on Fox News. The impact of a government shutdown on the American economy was completely ignored. There was hardly a word about the stock market's plummet. Instead, viewers heard about scary threats from immigrants, scary threats from Democrats, scary threats from university administrators, and scary threats from Chinese hackers. They were often reminded that President Trump fights tenaciously for ordinary Americans. Kevin Rudd was right, the former prime minister of Australia. Rupert Murdoch is a cancer on democracy, and on our democracy, too in my humble opinion. So how do we deal with this? What do we do about it? How do we treat our friends and neighbors who have tuned into this propaganda channel? And sadly, many of them did for the same reason that I would watch Fox on a weekend or in the evening because CNN is not doing news programming and MSNBC is not doing news programming. I don't want to watch lockup documentaries or old Anthony Bourdain segments. 
I'd like to know what's going on in the world. And Fox actually programs news 24-7, or at least what they call news. And people get sucked into this. They get duped into it, and they think, oh, that's what's going on. It's pretty amazing. Bob in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I just wanted to share my observation on what mainstream media, so-called news, is like. I was actually trying to educate myself on debating because it seems like that's what the format feels like a lot. And actually came across something on YouTube that was seven reasons Ben Shapiro is so dominant in debates. And that got me, that's actually what got me thinking that it seems like mainstream media is that way. And if they're debating a tax cut or climate, the quote-unquote winner is going to be the sealed debater, which has little to do with the truth or the facts, you know. Anyway, I yeah. just wanted to share that. It's not even debater, Bob. It's propagandist. I mean, I saw this yeah. big t- I don't know if you saw Mick Mulvaney being interviewed on Meet the Press, but it was... I tried to watch it, yeah. I it tried. was pathetic. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. was pathetic. I've always figured, well, I don't want to get into Chuck Todd, but it just literally, lie after lie, without any kind of serious challenge. Well, and I think part of the challenge or the problem is the person conducting the interview is put on the spot to be a master of all the topics that are going to get counterpoints. But that wouldn't be that hard. I think the big thing is that the person doing the interview knows that their network, that their bosses want to be sure that this person... Mick Mulvaney, in this case, the chief of staff at the White House, will come back on the show. You know, we'll come back on the network, that we're not going to get a boycott, that, you know, Republicans feel like this is a safe space. And after all, they're such snowflakes. You know, they scream and yell at the slightest provocation. And they really do. Yeah. And and this this work, the refs thing, I mean, this started 20, 30 years ago. Actually, it started during the Reagan era. I forget who came up with it. I think it was the guy who did the Willie Horton ads. But anyhow, they've been working the refs ever since, and the refs, of course, are the media. Bob, thanks a lot for the call. Spot on. Our thoughts on what do we do about the media in America? How do we fix this? Miriam in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Miriam, what's up? Hi. Hey. I just wanted to put in some suggestions that I have for the media. Mm -hmm. We should require media to have, like, a split-screen TV. On the one side is a politician. And on the other side is the fact-checked, huh. uh, what they're talking about. That's the moment when uh, Republicans start refusing to come on television. Oh, really? And a few Democrats, too. No, I, I'm just speculating. I don't think, Miriam, that... I think that the only reason why the Republican Party has been in power since the 1980s is that back in the 80s, the media stopped calling out Republicans and stopped basically pointing out that the core values of the Republican Party are privatized Social Security, do away with Medicare and Medicaid. Well, the list is fairly long, but, you know, privatize everything, make the air dirtier, the water dirtier, et cetera, et cetera. They stopped pointing that out because they were getting so much pushback Mm -hmm. from Republicans. And the only reason Republicans have been able to get elected election cycle after election cycle is by lying to us. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can do that. Refer to a website that you can check the facts. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, you know, there's there's a few of them out there. Less less scary for them. Yeah, yeah, it might be. Miriam, thank you. I think you're onto something. I appreciate that. Sunday, this was uh, Chris Wallace's Fox News version of Meet the Press. And this startled me. It's making me wonder if there are a few people, Chris Wallace being among them, at Fox News, 
who are concerned about their own reputation as journalists. Obviously, the nighttime prime shows, you know, Hannity's not a journalist, Laura Ingram, those people are not journalists. I guess they pretend to be, but what can you say? But Chris Wallace is an old-time reporter. I mean, I think he started at CBS. So anyhow, here is a little clip from his interview with Sarah Sanders. It's fascinating. We know that roughly nearly 4,000 known or suspected terrorists come into our country illegally. And we know that our most vulnerable point of entry wait, is wait, at wait, our wait, southern wait, border. I know the statistic. I didn't know yeah. if you were going to use it, but I studied up on this. Do you know where those 4,000 people come or where they're captured? The airports. Uh, not always. But uh, certainly, airports. Certainly a the large State number. Department says there hasn't been any terrorists certainly, that they found coming across the southern border air, from Mexico. It's by land and yeah, right. And she tried to repeat the lie two or three times, and he just was not having it. What you have are absolutely desperate people fleeing the genocide, the literal genocide, wiping out of entire villages, slaughtering of the people that was laid down on top of Guatemala by Ronald Reagan. That's what's going on. And that genocide is being repeated right now, particularly against the indigenous people which is both of these children who died in custody were Guatemalan indigenous people. They were both from tribal communities. That's who's bearing the brunt of this. And Donald Trump just wants to say, oh, look at the color of their skin. Welcome back, Tom Harmon here with you. You'll recall a few weeks ago, we were talking about Centoya Brown, a woman who, when she was 16 years old, had been trafficked, basically, and killed a guy who was assaulting her. And she's a Tennessee woman, woman of color. And uh, she got a life sentence. And Bill Halsam, or Haslam, excuse me, the governor, today ordered an early release for her. So she's going to be transferred to parole on August 7th. And she'll have to stay on parole for 10 years. But that's better than another 50 or so years in jail. I mean, this is an amazing story. And so glad to see it's happening. We're talking about the media. Caesar in Chicago. Hey, Caesar, what's up? Well, I wanted to share our experience traveling the national parks uh, about two years ago during okay. the centennial. There's absolutely no progressive radio. Yeah, I've in noticed. That area. Well, you've got, I mean, there's some pretty good sized stations in Chicago and Minneapolis and Los Angeles and New York, you know, progressive stations. And, and a lot of them in smaller markets that carry our show and other progressive shows. But, you know, Grand Rapids, Columbus, Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. But the simple reality is that if you do not have satellite radio, which has one progressive channel on it, you can travel all the way across the United States and probably never hear anything except right-wing radio. In fact, that's what prompted me to write back in 2003 the article for Common Dreams Talking Back to Talk Radio, which became the original business plan for Air America Radio. Louise and I, that November of 2003, we drove from Montpelier, Vermont, where we lived, back to Lansing, Michigan, to visit my family for Thanksgiving. And all the way there, we scanned, we had a, one of those digital radios that could scan the whole dial, you know, and stop at each station for 10 seconds. We would scan constantly and all we could find, all the way there, we heard Sean Hannity's show over and over and over again. I mean, it was just breathtaking. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, you could get a little bit on NPR here and there. Mm -hmm. That's it. And yeah. um, you get all these extreme religious stations that, you know, my kids were creeped out, I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it's, it's very, very concerning. Uh, what do we do? 
Well, this is the consequence of this massive change in ownership of the media that came along in 1996 with the Telecommunications Act. It used to be, I mean, you know, the biggest talk show in America prior to the 80s was a guy out of Denver who was broadcasting into 20, 30 states. I'm trying to blank on his name right now. They made a movie out of it, talk radio. He was assassinated by two skinheads. Oh, Alan Berg, that's right. Yeah, it was Alan Berg. Thank you, Sean. I mean, this is a huge show, right? This was before there was all these stations that were owned by, you know, basically one or two companies. And that's where we're at right now. And, you know, it's like a return to local programming. Seems to me like a good thing. Caesar, thanks for the call. He's spot on. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. Hey, Marta, what's up? Well, I want to just commend you on what you're doing to buck the trend and challenge the status quo. Back in the 1970s, I worked at a small ABC affiliate, and I was fired for reading a newspaper uh, instead of uh, I was supposed to be watching Good Morning America Yikes! Uh, because I was doing Master Control Switcher, and I was reading a newspaper for my college, you know, course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, so then I went on to become a journalist, and, and like you, I've, you know, seen how media has become more and more of, you know, a pyramid with all the power at the top through conglomeration. I don't think we can change uh, the top. I think we can democratize, you know, the, and build, you know, from the bottom, uh, the grassroots, like, you know, create cooperatives. So many of us um, have been, you know, downsized or, you know, journalists downsized by conglomeration, uh, small newspapers being gobbled up. And, you know, we're teaching English or we're, you know, writing blogs that only our friends read. And we can create cooperatives like Richard Wolf talks about. And you're, you know, bringing more of that to our attention. But the mainstream media, they, you know, I tell my friends, look, it's about entertainment. And, you know, you've educated us about how, you know, CBS basically uh, made news into entertainment. And, you know, that helps us to talk to our friends and say, hey, you know, NPR, MSNBC, Fox, they all want access to power. Yeah. They all of, all of them come from Ivy League. You know, those journalists almost all come from Ivy League backgrounds. They, you know, they, they hate Bernie Sanders. They hate anyone that, that challenges their, their power. And, you know, we have to create more democracy, and, you know, amongst ourselves. Yeah, I'm. I'm not willing to go to the point of attacking individual reporters or journalists. I and and in fact, I you know I know a few people who are on network television and they're stuck in a system that they can't control. And if they were to go rogue, like I've done today, you know they would lose that position. And you know when you're making millions of dollars a year and you you know you want to have a good life and all that kind of, it's very seductive. It's very easy to end up you know, basically sucked into that whole thing. And, you know, to their credit, there are a few people who have not been sucked into it and actually do some pretty good programming on network television, but they're few and far between. But, you know, yeah, I get your point, Marta. Marta, thank you for the call. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right? The people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.